And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. And today, there's a lot to get to. Uh, playoffs underway for the Bruins and the Stanley Cup playoffs. NBA not too far behind. Playoffs start tomorrow. I uh, still got a play-in game to go tonight for the NBA. Uh, we'll touch on that when we get to it. But uh, before we do that, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at not Boston, you can also follow the Facebook page, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So uh, let's get right into it. Get right into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Talk about the Bruins. Bruins up two games to one in the best of seven series against Washington, and they have Game Four tonight at the Garden, uh, six thirty. So hopefully you can get this in before you watch the game. Uh, so obviously, at first glance in the series, it's been incredibly close. You know, each game has gone to overtime. You know, each game easily could go in the other direction as, you know, what it what it's turned out it has. Um, meaning that the Bruins could very easily be up three games to nothing in this series, but they could easily be down three games to nothing, you know, when you have three overtime games. And it's honestly unbelievable when you look at, you know, the history between these two teams that every single game is a... Is a uh, one goal game, you know, it's like something like 12 straight times these two teams have played in the playoffs. It's been a one goal game. And that includes, you know, this series that includes every game from the seven game series in 2012. And it also includes a couple games from uh, a, maybe a first or second round series in the nineties between these two teams. So it's like, there is no room for error, you know, and I think that the Bruins, after that game one loss, you know, game that kind of just, I don't know, it just seemed like Washington was more the aggressor in that game one, you know, took advantage of some mistakes, took advantage of the Bruins being a little lax in their own zone. Um, And, you know, a game, the Capitals won the game, you know, a game in which they kind of deserve to. And I know that there are a lot of people that were upset, you know, upset about Rask and, you know, you can't really do anything with those people. I'm not really going to even entertain talking about Tuka Rask because it's just pointless. Um, but it was a game that you didn't play well. And, you know, if the Bruins had won that game one, it would have been like highway robbery if they had won that game. Now, I think that, you know, losing a game one, not the end of the world, especially when you're starting on the road. You're starting against a team that, you know, is really, you know, pretty physical and honestly is not the best matchup for you. Um, You know, I think going into the playoffs or going into the last weeks of the regular season, there was a thought process where it's like, okay, you really want to kind of avoid Washington at all costs. You know, it didn't happen. You have to play them and it is what it is, but the Bruins are holding their own. Like, honestly, they are, you know. Losing a 4-3 game in overtime in game one, a game that you didn't really play your best. Was it 4-3 or was it 3-2? Might be mixing up the games. Um, yeah, I yeah I was mixing up the games. No, 3-2 in game one. You know, you lose an overtime game in a game which, in a game in which, you know, you didn't play great and, you know, you got outshot. You had a lot of shots that missed the net you know, in this game, and, you know, you you lose game one, and I don't think really it was the end of the world, but then it was like, you know, Bruins come right back in, in game two, you know, fall behind, get a tying goal, Taylor Hall, you know, with just a great effort, 
And then the Bruins are able to win game two in overtime. So, you know, I think that it's a series that it's, it's going to be close, you know, and I said this with, with Mike Craddy last week, you know, it very well could be a series where, you know, very small things make the difference, you know, in this series. And obviously we've not been disappointed to get three one goal games, all games that have gone to overtime. So, you know, Bruins with a massive win in game three, you know, I really was not too convinced that they were going to come back, but you know, you get Marshan getting that goal at the end of the third and then Craig Smith, you know, just, uh, paying attention, being really aggressive on the forecheck and, you know, scoring off a, off a bad miscommunication between, uh, Sam Sonov and Justin Schultz. So, you know, it was one at game three was one of those games where I was very concerned that the Bruins were, you know, going to put a lot of shots on goal, that they were going to outplay Washington, which they did for that first overtime, you know, outshot them 17 to six in that first overtime. And you were thinking, okay, here we go. Here's one of these games that the Bruins are going to outplay them, but they're going to lose on a cheap goal. You know, it went the other way. Bruins win kind of on a cheap, greasy goal, but doesn't matter. They all count the same. So uh, Bruins up two games to one. You know, I think that looking at this series at the start, you were thinking that, yeah, Washington's going to be very physical. And I think the Bruins have done a pretty good job of with, withholding that or withstanding that. You know, it's not been anything that you're concerned about. I mean, obviously, if people are like, oh, Grizzlick's, you know, too small, he can't handle it. But, you know, Matt Grizzlick's pretty good at absorbing hits. You know, I don't know if you saw that hit that he took. I think it was in game two. I forget who it was, but he pops right back up. You know, he's a guy that oftentimes is in the right position. Um, and, you know, look, if Washington wants to play really aggressive, the Bruins are a great skating team. When they have their, their legs going, they're really hard to stop. So I think the Bruins have done a pretty good job at withstanding, you know, this. I thought that, you know, Tuco was really good. I thought the game three, especially, he was really, really good, you know, making some key stops in the overtime and the double overtime. Um and in regulation too. So, you know, I think obviously those are things that, that have been going well. The Bruins have been getting some consistent goal scoring from Taylor Hall, Craig Smith. Um, they've gotten some goals from Jake DeBrusque in the first two games of the series, which was great to see. You know, Jake's a guy that obviously I've been on him a lot this season, um, but he showed up and was great in those first two games. Had a couple goals, you know, had a great net drive in game two off um, Coyle's feet, I think, that went behind the net, and then he stuffed in the rebound. Um, but Jake's been noticeable in this series. He's been really solid in those first two games. Um, didn't really notice him as much in Game 3, um, but, you know, he's not going to be unbelievable every single game, but I thought he was great in those first two games. Um, and so that was good to see. Um, you know, I think that just kind of that, that leadership, came up big in games in games two and three. You know, you had Marshan with those big goals, the overtime winner in game two, then the tying goal in game three. So, you know, he's a guy that you never really have to worry about. Um, I also think that the Bruins, you know, the penalty kills at about 80%, you know, which isn't amazing, but I think the Bruins have done a pretty good job um, on the penalty kill. You know, I think especially against Ovechkin, you know, who does have a power play goal, but, you know, the Bruins have done a pretty good job against him, I think, on the, specifically against defending against those one-timers, so um, it is interesting, though, it's like the Capitals and their big guns, 
you know, some guys like Backstrom, he hasn't scored in three games. Carlson has one assist. Um, and you have guys like, like Hathaway and Nick Dowd who have a couple points. So, you know, I think the Bruins are doing a pretty good job defensively against some of the big guns of Washington. And, you know, that's going to need to continue. Um, so, you know, I think that defensively the Bruins were a lot better in game three. They seemed to be a lot less kind of nervous and not making a lot of the same mistakes they did in the first two games. You know, I don't, and I don't really know if that's just a, a product of being on the road versus being at home. They're just a lot more comfortable. You know, they have last change. They can dictate the matchups. Um, I will say that, you know, obviously it wasn't great that Lausanne had to, or ha- has been out for a few games, but Connor Clifton has been great. You know, he went right back in and has been a really good difference maker defensively. Um, and I think that, I think in, uh, at points this season, I wasn't wild about him being like a top four defenseman, but him playing, you know, on the third pair with Kevin Miller, he's been really good. He's been a difference maker. And so I think like Connor Clifton's a guy that knows his role. And when he plays his role, he's really, really good at it. So, you know, he's been a pleasant surprise, you know, going into the lineup. Well, I should say a surprise in the sense that I didn't expect him to be playing in this series you know, kind of thought that if Lausanne was healthy, you know, he'd still be in there. But uh, Clifton's done a tremendous job. Um, and I think that the Bruins, you know, second line has done some pretty good things. You know, Hall obviously has a couple goals, had that uh, great goal in Game 3. Just gross skill level on, on that guy. It's pretty amazing. So um, good stuff for the Bruins there. So I think that those are the things that, they are doing well. Um, I think that some of the things that aren't going as well is um, the Bruins' power play. You know, they've had to put some different groupings together, and um, they're having a little bit of trouble. They're having a little trouble, you know, keeping things simple, you know, getting good entries and then keeping the puck in the zone. Um, So I think that that's something that, as I said to Mike, you know, the Bruins really got to, got to simplify it and really have to you know it doesn't mean shooting the puck every chance you get but being a little bit more aggressive you know being a little bit better stick handling um and you know just being being careful with the puck um so i think you know that's one of the areas to be a little concerned about that i think the bruins really kind of need to get that going um i think also you know as much as people like Chris Wagner in the lineup, you know, because he, he's physical and he can throw him, throw his body around. I just felt like game three, you really noticed that you have Corrali and Lazar, two guys that, you know, kind of fly around the zone. Wagner's a little, a, a, like often a step behind, you know, and I also thought that there was that play, I forget, maybe it was a potential two on one where he holds onto the puck too long. And it just is like, you need people that are going to have the willingness to shoot the puck. You know, and I, that's why I think Kuhlman is a better fit with that line because he's, you know, got great speed. He can get to the front of the net, but he also has that shoot first mentality. I don't think that Wagner sometimes has that. And I just think that the Bruins might be better off if Kuhlman plays. You know, I don't think that's the case tonight. I mean, I think the the lines are going to be the same, but it just is like, I don't know. It's something that I, I think that they should change. Um, and then another thing that, you know, is going to be important for the Bruins is David Pasternak. You know, he's a guy that 
hasn't exactly found his game yet in the playoffs. Does have a couple of assists, so it's, you know, not like he's been useless out there. You know, he's had some trouble, you know, on the power play. Um, you know, it just is, he's fighting the game right now. Um, and I think that it's one of those things that I think it just, you go through it. You know, it's just, it's things that happen to everyone. So I'm not overly concerned. Um, I don't know, some of the rhetoric about him has been a little bit too, too much. You know, I understand that, you know, there are people that think that, oh, you know, he broke down towards the end of the playoffs last year. You know, he was hurt, but he was a point-per-game player. He had 10 points in 10 games last year. You know, he has two points in three games. Like, he literally has played 55 playoff games in his career, has 55 points. It just seems bizarre that that's the guy that we're complaining about, you know, that we're like, oh, like, he's not done anything. And it's like, well, he's not scored goals, but at least he's had a couple of assists. He's still a difference maker. You know, he's one of the best players in the league. Like, guys go through struggles all the time. You know, it's not anything new. I just feel like that's bizarre. But, you know, this, you, you, you know, people in this fan base, you know, they just have to find something to complain about. So, you know, I'm not really surprised, but it just is like, guys, I think that he's fine. I think that he'll figure it out. I have full confidence in him. And trust me, the guys in the room have full confidence in him. So I really could care less what certain people think on Twitter. Um, I don't know. And it's like, you know, I get it if you want to complain about certain players. I think that that's fair. You know, I've been very, very open on this podcast about how much I've criticized Jake DeBrusque, but credit, credit where credit is due. And I just think like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like we are up. The Bruins are up two games to one in this series. They've played pretty well. They've played pretty well. Tuka Rask has been good. No reason to think that Jeremy Swayman should play, you know. And we're focusing on David Pasternak. Like that's what we're doing. We're really going to do this. We're really going to zero in on a player who has a track record of performing well in the playoffs, even though some people don't think he has, which is bizarre. You know, it's like there are people on Twitter that think that he, like, doesn't show up in the playoffs. Well, he's a point-per-game player. Like, what What do you mean he doesn't show up? I don't know. It just is something that kind of irritated me. Um, but so game four tonight, I think that the Bruins, I think, really need to, you know, come out the aggressor in this game and try to be a team that, you know, kind of tries to crush Washington's spirit. Um, I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for them to go up 3-1 in this series. Um, I really hope that they can take advantage of that because I think, you know, if you lose this game, then this means that you are guaranteed to be in a six-game series. And I think for the Bruins in terms of, you know, the the bumps and bruises that they've taken already in this series against Washington, they really kind of need to get out of the series as quick as they possibly can so they can get some rest. You know, I don't think that they're going to face a team like Washington you know, again in the playoffs, I mean, it's possible that they play a team like Tampa Bay, you know, who plays a kind of a, a heavy style similar to Washington. But I think if the Bruins can get out of this first round, I think that I feel pretty good about them going forward. So, you know, I think that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Pasternak gets off the schneid tonight in terms of goal scoring, but it's not like he's not been noticeable. You know, that's the other thing that blows my mind is people think that he's not been good you know, because he's not scoring goals. Well, he has 19 shots on goal in this series. 19, he leads the series in shots on goal, has two assists. You know, he makes smart. I think that he's 
makes smart plays on defense from time to time. I just like, I don't know. It just blows my mind that we as a fan base always have to zero in on something and, you know, complain about it. And look, not everything's been perfect in this series. Not everything has gone great for the Bruins. You know, I know that they're they're up 2-1. Very easily could be down 2-1. Very easily could be down, you know, 0-3. But zeroing in on David Pasternak really is not something that, you know, we really should be that concerned about. You know, I think it's focusing in on starting starting the game on time tonight, making sure they have their skating legs. Um, you know, don't really have any concerns about Tuca, so uh, we'll see. So Bruins caps, game four tonight, 6.30 at the Garden. Bruins can go up 3-1. Game five is on Sunday night in D.C. So mentioned the lines at uh, practice. They're the same as they were in, I think, they're the first three games of the series. So no changes up front. Kevin Miller uh, not practicing today, but I think that that's pretty normal. Um, so it sounds like, you know, defense will stay the same, you know, if Miller can't go, which I think that it might just be that he's just not practicing to, you know, make sure that they're being as careful as they can with his knee. Um, but if he doesn't go, uh, Jared Tenorti goes in for him. Um, but it seems like it probably will be Miller and Clifton on that bottom pair. So, um, see what happens for the Bruins tonight. Uh, taking a look at, taking a look at some other series. Um, in the NHL, um, you have, well, we'll start in the East. You have Pittsburgh and the New York Islanders. So the Islanders taking game one in overtime. Um, but the Penguins have bounced back with two straight wins. Uh, Tristan Jari did not have a great game in game one. I actually don't think he was terribly great, or I don't think he was very good in the game three last night either. Uh, but did have a solid game in game two. I mean, I think that's just, it's just how it goes with, with Pittsburgh and, and Jari. You know, I think that sometimes, most of the time, he's a pretty solid goalie, but there's sometimes where he just is really leaky. So that's why I think if the Bruins end up playing Pittsburgh in the next round, assuming that that's what happens, I'm not too concerned about Pittsburgh. Um, but Pittsburgh's gotten some timely goals. Jeff Carter has three goals in this series. He's turned back the clock and has been really good. Um, really a back and forth wild game last night, but the Penguins uh, take it five four. Chris or Brandon Tanev scored with about four minutes to go, so Pittsburgh's up two games to one in that series. Game four is tomorrow afternoon in New York and uh, on the island. Um, then Bruins Capitals talked about them. Game four tomorrow or game four tonight at six thirty. Game five Sunday at seven. Hurricanes and Predators in the Central. Uh, Carolina's picked up right where they left off um, to close the regular season. They've won the first two games of the series rather easily, um, outscoring Nashville 8-2 to two in the first two games. Uh, Sebastian Ajo had two goals in Game 2. Uh, Jordan Stahl had two goals in Game 1. Um, so the series shifts to Nashville tonight. Um, I know, you know, when I talked to Mike last week, I think that Nashville wins the series. I know that that's crazy, but... I think that this is where the series changes uh, in Nashville. Something about that building that just gets that team to play a lot better. So um, I would look for Nashville to bounce back tonight. Um, if they don't, though, I think the series might end in a sweep. So a really important game for Nashville tonight at 7 um, at home, and then they play game 4 
on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Panthers-Lightning, this has probably been the most exciting and electric series, uh, Tampa Bay and Florida. So Tampa Bay winning the first two games. Game one was pretty crazy. It was a back-and-forth, you know, crazy game. Tampa Bay gets a couple goals from Kucherov, who's, you know, back in the lineup. Obviously, there are a lot of people that are uh, complaining about the uh, cap circumvention or, you know, whatever you want to say. I don't really fully understand what the rule is. But, yeah, you know, Tampa Bay's got him back. You know, I will just say that if it's within the rules, then it's within the rules. And I don't think you should be blaming Tampa Bay for doing what they did because any other team would do the same thing. That, that's the other thing. I think that it's because it's Tampa Bay and people kind of are tired of them. But it's like, like any other team would do this. Like, I hope people understand that, that, you know, let's say the Colorado Avalanche, you know, lost Nathan McKinnon for the whole season and then had him come back for the playoffs. Like, any any other team would do the same thing. The Bruins would do the same thing if they had, like, lost Brad Marchand at the beginning of the season or at, like, in... At, at some point, you know, and he's out the entire regular season and then can come back for the playoffs. If it's within the rules, it's within the rules. So I don't really know why we're complaining about this. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people just don't like Tampa Bay, and that's fair, but don't pretend like any other team would not do the same exact thing. Um, so Florida, though, uh, with a bounce-back win in Game 3 after dropping the first two games at home, a huge win for them, 6-5 and OT last night. Um Lomberg had scored the um, overtime winner, so Florida can tie the series uh, tomorrow afternoon in Tampa Bay. So that will be very interesting. That series has been really fun to watch. you got some two really talented, really good teams that know each other really well. So uh, it's been a pretty exciting series to watch. The Lightning lead that series two games to one. So in the West, you have Colorado that has just outclassed St. Louis in the first two games. I uh, really just don't think St. Louis has much of a shot, but they do return home, so maybe the series shifts um, and that gets them to, you know, perform a little bit more offensively. But um, it just it's just not in the cards for St. Louis, I don't think. I just don't think they can score enough to be relevant in this series. Um, and Bennington clearly just is not the same guy as he was two years ago. Um, so Colorado's got a pretty good advantage. But, you know, again, you never know when the series shifts to a new place. You know, that a, that a team might just play with more energy. But uh, Game 3 of that series tonight at 9.30 in St. Louis. Game 4 Sunday evening in St. Louis. And then the Golden Knights in the Wild. Obviously, the Wild were a big story after winning Game 1 in overtime with the only goal from Joe, Joel Erickson-Eck. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was insane in this game. Made some unbelievable saves. Um, so Vegas... Tough loss in Game 1, but they've bounced back and looked like the team that has steamrolled uh, the West Division. So they have won two games in a row in the series now after winning 5-2 last night. Uh, game 4 of that series from Minnesota tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on NBC. So the Golden Knights are up two games to one. And then in the North Division, we've seen Game 1s played Oilers and the Jets. The Jets win Game 1, um, which was really surprising. The Jets do not have or did not have Nikolai Ehlers or Paul Stastny in Game 1, but they still were able to win. Um, Connor Hellebuck, really, really solid. Their defense was really solid. 
Connor McDavid held scoreless in this game. So uh, Edmonton has a chance to even the series tonight at 9 o'clock. And then we have Montreal and Toronto. And a really scary moment um, last night. John Tavares um, taking an inadvertent knee or leg to the head. And um, it just was, it was really scary. Um, I'm very glad that I did not watch that live um, because I probably would have freaked out. Um, So just a very unfortunate play. Um, Corey Perry, you know, trying to avoid um, Tavares' head makes contact and Tavares um, just, it's it's hard for me to, to talk about that because it's just like, that is just so scary, you know, because it's like he's basically, you know, I don't want to say flopping around because I feel like that's disrespectful, but it's just like it looked like he just had no awareness of where he was. Um, and that's just something that, that terrifies me that it's like we watch, you know, that you watch sports and we love sports. We love the entertainment, but it's like you have crazy things that happen and dangerous things that happen and, you know, Immediately you see him on the ice and your thoughts stop thinking about a hockey game, you know, and immediately you're thinking, is he going to be okay? Um, so unfortunately, um, he had to take be taken off the ice in a stretcher. Um, did get news, honestly, during literally a few minutes ago um, that he is out of the hospital. So that at least is a breath of, or a serious, serious relief. Um, that he's out of the hospital, but obviously we'll, we'll be out indefinitely. I'd be shocked if we see him um, at any point in the playoffs, but obviously just a really scary moment uh, for Toronto and scary, you know, losing their captain. Um, and then, you know, afterward, so I don't know the whole full context of this situation, but apparently um, Nick Foligno dropped the gloves with uh, Corey Perry and not really sure why i'm not really sure there's you know some debate as to why that happened you know was he trying to get the maple leafs going or was you know he getting Corey perry to quote unquote answer for that unfortunate play Corey perry did not do that on purpose there's no way that anyone thinks that he did that on purpose so i don't really know what the what the point of that was um but it just is like it's it's just really scary you know and it took really just took the air out of Toronto last night. They lose game one. But, you know, I I think it's probably hard for those guys to think about playing a hockey game and they see their teammate and their captain go down like that. Um, but the good news is he's out of the hospital, so at least he has, you know, dodged major injury. But obviously we don't know. We don't know if he's dealing with a concussion or whatever. But, um you know, really send our, our well wishes to, to John and the uh, entire Maple Leafs organization, you know, John's family, and hoping that he can pull through and he can, you know, get back out on the ice at some point. You know, really don't know if it's going to be anytime soon. I'd be very surprised. Um, so Montreal taking game one. Carey Price was really good in this game. Uh, they get a shorthanded goal from Paul Byron. That was a pretty, pretty nice goal he scored last night. So, uh, Montreal and Toronto will play again Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Um, so before we move on to the NBA, just some kind of notes on the NHL. The Columbus Blue Jackets hiring back John Davidson as their, um, I think it was 
director of hockey operations, the GM, uh, Jarmo Keklinen, will stay as the general manager. So Davidson actually was a member of the hockey front office in Columbus for, for a number of years uh, before he joined the Rangers. So he's back in Columbus. Um, Nazem Kadri is going to have an in-person hearing after the hit uh, in game two, I believe, against St. Louis. Um, so I think that's probably it for the last notes. So um, take one last look at the NHL schedule for tonight. Bruins and Capitals game four at 630. Carolina and Nashville game three from Nashville at seven o'clock. Uh, Winnipeg and Edmonton play game two tonight. And then Colorado and St. Louis will play each other in game three. That game is at 930. So I think that this makes sense for us to move on to the NBA, talk about talk about the Celtics and their uh, really, really good win um, against the Wizards the other night in the first round, or the first play-in game against the Wizards. Celtics win 118-110. Um, Jason Tatum just... I mean, what what more can you say about the guy? He's just been so, so good for this team this year. Um, Obviously, it's been a really difficult season for the Celtics. You know, the season has not gone the way that a lot of us thought. It's not gone the way that any of the Celtics thought, you know, or wanted. But, you know, it's been impressive to see Jason's work this season. Um, Averaging, averaged over 26 points per game in the the regular season at 50 in this play-in game. (laughs) You know what's crazy is just like, Jason's been putting up numbers like this in the last few weeks, you know, had that 60 point game, had that 50. And it's like, I don't think we talk about how unbelievable that is, you know, but it's like, it's just easy for him. You know, it's easy for him to go off and score 40 or 50 in a, in a, in a pseudo playoff game. So, you know, that I think at least gives you hope that maybe the Celtics can steal a game against the Nets, but I think, you know, they're going to be hard pressed to win more than a game against this team. I just think the Nets, with the with how deep they are, especially off the bench, you know, the Celtics really are at a disadvantage there. Um, but I think a lot of it matters on the health of Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. You know, it seems like all three of them are healthy and ready to go for game one tomorrow. But the three of them have only played a, a handful of games together. So... You know, it's hard to know what you're going to get continuity-wise. I mean, obviously, the three of them are three of the most talented players in the league. You could say that maybe they are the three most talented players in the league, you know, outside of, like, LeBron James, Steph Curry, and and Giannis. But um, I think that the Celtics, it's going to be a tall order for them. Um, But I think that there at least were some positive signs um, in the play-in game. I thought the Celtics played really good defense. You know, I really thought that there were only maybe a few instances where they just kind of didn't play hard enough defense. But for the majority of the game, they played really good defense. And I don't know what it is. The Celtics seemingly play really well against Russell Westbrook. I'm not sure what that is. Um, But they seem to always play decent defense. He did not have a good game. You know, Bradley Beal, obviously, I think is clearly not 100%, even after watching that uh, Washington game against Indiana last night. But you know, the Celtics did a pretty good job um, in that game and, you know, took care of business, didn't make it hard on themselves. Um, but Jason Tatum was just was just awesome to watch. And Kemba Walker has been great to watch, too. He's been really outstanding. You know, I think in the middle of all this Jason Tatum stuff that, you know, Jason rightfully so has been incredible, you know, and deserves all the praise. But, you know, Kemba is quietly 
scoring the basketball at the rate that we kind of expected him to when the Celtics first signed him um, in the summer of 2019. So, you know, it's it's good to see the two of them performing so well. You know, it's just too bad that um, Jalen Brown's out for the season because I really think that even if the Celtics, you know, finish the season with this record or maybe finished a few games better, you know, I still would think that they could possibly do something in the playoffs. Um, I just think that without Jalen, it's hard to match up specifically against the Nets because the Nets are going to score a lot of points. And I think the Celtics are one of those teams that they kind of need multiple guys to score. You know, not that Evan Fournier is not capable of scoring the ball in a similar way that Jalen Brown does, but I just think the Celtics might really be out of their depth, especially in the bench area. So, um, you know, I don't think that the Nets are going to sweep the Celtics. I don't think that that's going to happen. I know that that's what some people think is going to happen, but I bet that the Celtics are able to get a win and at the Garden at least. Um, so if the Celtics are going to win the series, I think that it starts and ends on the defensive end of the floor. If they bring the defensive intensity that's required for playoff basketball, they just might have a chance. Um, Jason Tatum obviously needs to just keep doing what he's doing. Same thing for Kemba Walker. If the Celtics can get Evan Fournier going, um, if the Celtics can get a healthy Robert Williams and get him to start playing the effective way that we know him to, um, he's kind of just been struggling with injuries the last couple of weeks and really has not gotten a consistent rhythm. So, you know, I think that that's a big if, if the Celtics, you know, somehow beat the Nets. But I think it starts if the Celtics play really good, intense defense and somehow steal a game in Brooklyn. You know, I think that it's possible if the Celtics could steal a game in Brooklyn, let's say they split the first four games, you know, then it might be like, okay, the Nets might start getting a little concerned. Because I think it's one of those series where everyone expects the Nets to win. I don't think this, anyone's expecting the Celtics to do anything. And I think that, you know, the Celtics are one of those teams. And I know that it's not really happened this year, but in years past, you know, the Celtics often are a team that plays with a chip on their shoulder in the playoffs and does a lot better against really good competition than people think. You know, I'm not going to say that the Celtics are going to win the series. I don't think that's that's going to happen. But I think that the Celtics very easily could push the series to six and possibly seven, you know, if they get lucky enough. But um, I think that knowing how this season has gone, I think that a lot of people should be happy if the Celtics, you know, lose in six games. I know that losing in the playoffs is never anything that people want to have happen. But, you know, I think if this team can make some strides, um, they can get good, consistent play off the bench from Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard, who will get some really good, you know, playoff experience, assuming that they play a good amount. Um, and it might end up being, you know, a valuable experience for some of these guys um, to get some playoff experience. So I think that the Celtics are going to compete in this series, and I think that you're going to see them compete at a level that we've not seen consistently this season. Um, and I personally think that they push it to six. Um, but I think the Nets just are going to be too much. I think just way too much talent, way too much, you know, guys that can score the ball at, unbelievable rates. I mean, you have the the three-headed monster of the Brooklyn Nets that pretty much could win a series by themselves, um, but you have all three of them together, and it's just unfair. So um, I think that it will be an interesting series for the young guys. 
um, Jabari Parker. I'd be interested to see how much he plays in this series um, because he is under contract for the Celtics next season. So um, the Celtics signed him with the idea that he'll be part of their team next year, or at least I think that's the idea. So um, it could possibly be somewhat of an audition for him. Um, and I think it might be an audition for some of the young guys who their roster spots should should absolutely be in jeopardy. Um, so I'd be curious to see if maybe some guys like um, Ojale or Carson Edwards, you know, how they perform in this series, uh, because the Celtics are going to need per- production out of everyone if they're going to make this series, you know, interesting at all. Um, so I think in terms of the play-in, Celtics beating the Wizards um, in the play-in on uh, was it Tuesday night? Yes. No. Yes, Tuesday night. So the Celtics beat the Wizards. Um, Indiana crushed Charlotte. Uh, so Charlotte got eliminated. And weirdly, it seemed like Charlotte did not know that this game was like the end of their season. If they didn't win, they just did not really seem to be super interested. So Pacers dominate them. And then last night, Wizards and Pacers play for the eighth seed. And the Wizards made it look easy against the Pacers. Wizards had six players in double figures. So they will play the 76ers in the first round. We'll talk about that series um, in a little bit. And then in the West on Wednesday night, you had two games that went right down to the wire. Memphis narrowly eliminating the Spurs um, with their win in the play-in. And then the Lakers beating the Warriors 103-100, to which was a very entertaining game. Actually drew the most viewers on ESPN um, in two years. I could not believe that when I read that, that that game drew 5.6 million viewers. It was the most viewers ESPN has had for an NBA game since 2019. So that was pretty impressive. So, you know, if that's any indication of how excited people are for basketball, I mean, that's not even playoff basketball. That's like pseudo playoff basketball. And there were that many people watching it. You know, obviously anytime Steph Curry and LeBron play each other, it's going to be must-watch TV. And it really was. Steph was incredible. And then LeBron hitting that big three in the last minute. Um, So the Warriors and the Grizzlies will play for the eighth spot uh, tonight. So the Lakers will clinch or clinch the seven seed with the win. So they will play the Phoenix Suns in the first round. Um, Game one of that series, I think it's Friday. So uh, Memphis Golden State, nine o'clock tonight, playing for the eight seed, the right to play the Utah Jazz. Um, so if we take a look at the NBA and the Eastern Conference and start, you know, doing some previews for the first round, um, Philadelphia, Washington, New York, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Miami, Brooklyn, Boston. So I think talking about that Celtics series, you know, I think that the Celtics will make it interesting. I think that there's a possibility that they could win a game, maybe two, but I just think the Nets are just going to be too much for them. But um, look, if the Celtics lose a series, it's not anything to be upset about. You know, I think that the Celtics, considering how tough this season has been, if they can win two games against the Brooklyn Nets, you know, that that should be taken as like a silver lining. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. So game one of that series is Saturday at 8. But officially, I think that I will think that pick the Nets um, in six games. So Miami-Milwaukee, that's going to be a very fun series. Uh, to watch Miami, obviously, without uh, Victor Oladipo, who I think had an injury a few weeks ago, so he'll miss the rest rest of the season. But uh, the Heat closed the season on a really good run. 
And you have the Bucks, obviously, with high expectations. Once again, they got Drew Holiday in the offseason. Um, this is going to be very, very telling for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think this series could have tremendous implications for what happens next with that franchise and pretend potentially Giannis. You know, I think that he stays there. I think that he's been pretty adamant about that. But Mike Budenholzer is getting fired if they do anything other than go to the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. They might need to make the Finals for him not to be fired. So this series is going to be, I think, the most interesting first-round series. I know that's kind of a hot take, but I think that, you know, they met last year in the bubble. Uh, Heat win in five five games. Giannis got hurt. You know, I forget which game it was in that series, but, you know, he kind of wasn't himself after that injury. Um, So the Heat won, I think, in five games. So I expect this is going to go six or seven. There's no way that this finishes in five games. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the Heat look to defend Giannis. You know, I think that Giannis and Bam most likely are going to be matched up on each other a couple times. So I think it could be whoever wins that matchup wins the series. And I know people naturally would think Giannis would win that matchup but you know you saw the heat and how well they played in the bubble last year you know I think if they play anywhere near that level they can beat pretty much anyone so I think though that the Bucks are going to win this series and I think that it's going to be kind of a chip on your shoulder type thing and they realize that you know this really is them playing for their lives at this point you know, because I think a lot of things could change in that organization if they don't win this series. Um, but I think Chris Middleton has a tremendous series. I think Drew Holiday has a good series. Um, I think this goes seven. I do. Um, but I think star players are star players, and, you know, they take over in games like that. So I think the Bucks will win in seven. But by no means is this going to be a series where it's like, oh, I definitely think this team's going to win. I like the Bucks in seven, but... The Heat very well could win this series as well. Um, the Knicks and the Hawks, the 4-5 matchup, this is interesting. Um, two teams that, at the beginning of the season, nobody thought they were going to be playoff teams. Absolutely no one thought these two teams would be in the playoffs as the 4 and the 5 seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, the Hawks deserve a lot of credit for you know firing the coach, getting Nate McMillan, and really turning things around. Um, They were a team that, you know, at various points this season, it was like, okay, you know, at some point the Hawks are going to revert into the Hawks and they'll lose a lot of games. But that really never happened. The Hawks win 41 games this season. Um, And they've been a lot of fun to watch. Trey Young has been a lot of fun to watch. You know, the Hawks are a team that plays really hard. Nate McMillan, you know, one of the hallmarks of his teams is they play really, really hard. And I think that He's kind of found the right buttons to push with this team. Um, so it's going to be a fun series on the Hawks side. But the New York Knicks are really, to me, the story of the NBA season in 2020-2021. You know, bringing in Tom Thibodeau, you know, bringing in a really interesting group of veteran players, you know, to surround the young talent making Julius Randle their star, and the rest is history, as they say. They have been probably the most fun team to watch in the NBA this season. Derrick Rose has turned back the clock. He's been really, really good for them. Um, you had R.J. Barrett, who, you know, has, has improved, I think, as the season has gone on. And you had Julius Randle, who's playing the best basketball of his career. 
he looks like a totally different player this season. So um, I like the Knicks in this series. I think that they beat the Hawks in six, but I think this is going to be a very intriguing series. And this is going to be a series that not a lot of people are going to pay attention to, but I think that at the end of it, people are going to kick themselves that they didn't watch more of this series. Uh, but I do like the Knicks in the first round in this in this series. Philly against Washington. I think that Washington absolutely could pose some problems for uh, Philadelphia. Um, Philly, I think, is a good defensive team. I think that this is going to be a good test for them. I think that Washington could absolutely win a couple games. Um, but I think the Sixers have a lot to prove um, in the playoffs. So um, I think that they win the series in six. I just don't think Washington is going to be able to have enough to beat them. I think if Bradley Beal was fully healthy, then I might say, okay, maybe this goes seven. Um, But I think Philly wins it in five. I think that they win it fairly easily. I think they'll play good defense. You know, my concern with the Sixers is scoring the basketball. And it's not necessarily in this series because I think that they'll play good enough defense that, you know, they should be able to win the series fairly easily. My concern about them is how they're going to get scoring, you know, past this round. So I like Philly in five, but I think Washington could make this interesting. This could be one of those series that it goes five, but a number of the games are really, really close and could could go either way. So I think that when you say a team wins a series in five, I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, it's going to be kind of a blowout series, not close. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Philly wins a couple games late. Um, you know, Washington, to me, has no one that can stop Joel Embiid. So um, no reason to think that the Wizards can beat Philadelphia, you know, unless they get Embiid into foul trouble in a bunch of games um, and force them to take Embiid out of the lineup. But I just, I don't, I don't really see that happening. So I like Philly in the first round. I like all the higher seeds in the first round, but um, very well, Miami could win that first round series. But I think that you're going to see kind of the, the, the top teams go through. So I'd expect Philly and New York to play in the first round, and then Milwaukee and Brooklyn to play in that second round in the East. Um, so in the West, you obviously have Memphis Golden State tonight um, in, in uh, I almost said in Oakland, um, in San Francisco. So I think Golden State will be, you know, pretty happy with the way they played the Lakers. Um, I expect them to win tonight. I don't think Memphis wins. But I think the one, the one way that this could um, go the other way is if Valanciunas has an, a really good game. He had a monster game against the Spurs, I think, at a 20-20 game. So for the Warriors, if they can, if they can defend him well enough, they should win. Um, but if he has a game like he had against the Spurs, the Grizzlies absolutely could steal this game. Um, but I think, you know, Steph has just been unbelievable this season. You know, I've been watching him for a few years. He is playing like I've never seen him play before. And he's, you know, won the MVP before. And it's like, I just cannot believe how, how good he's been. To me, he's the MVP. I know that that's a serious hot take in the NBA, but I think that, you know, this team, you saw how bad they were without him last year. I mean, he has single-handedly put them in the playoffs or in position to go to the playoffs. Um, so I think that He's my vote for MVP, so I like Warriors tonight. Um, in terms of the other, you know, rounds, um, you know, if you look on early look to Golden State, Utah, you know, I think Utah wins the series against eight or nine seed, and I think they win it in five or six. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions about them, and you know, are they legit? 
I don't think those questions really come in until maybe round two. I don't expect Golden State or Memphis to have much of a chance against Utah, but Golden State, you know, if they advance and they have Steph, you never know. You know, they could do some crazy stuff. You know, they've upset a one seed before uh, many years ago, if you guys remember. So um, I think Utah should get out of that first round, but it could be very interesting um, if Golden State advances. Um, the Clippers and the Mavericks in the 4-5 game in the Western Conference, um, obviously they played each other in the first round last year. Dallas, or no, the Clippers won in, in six games. Um, I expect the Clippers to win. I think that a lot of people have, you know, the Clippers being a team that has a lot of pressure on them uh, based on the, you know, blowing the 3-1 lead to Utah last year. Um, but I think they win this first round series. I think Luka, you know, obviously is Luka and is unbelievable. Um, I just don't know if there's enough from the other players for Dallas to be able to win this series. I don't know really what you're going to get from Porzingis. You know, Hardaway, you kind of have no idea what he's going to perform like. Um, so if Dallas is going to win this series somehow, they need to get consistent production from their other guys. For the Clippers, you know, it's Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, can they get good production from bench players or, you know, kind of those secondary guys? Um, I expect the Clippers to win the series. I think it goes six again. I just don't really think that I have enough confidence in what else Dallas can do other than throw Doncic out there and say, all right, Luca, go score 40 points. Um, so I think and Clippers win the series. You know, I think that it goes six. I think it is an interesting series, but I think the Clippers take it. Uh, Denver and Portland in the first round, this will be interesting. I really think Portland wins the series. I think Denver losing Jamal Murray is just a huge blow and I don't know, you know, I don't know if I've looked at the stats close enough about Aaron Gordon, but he's not making as much of an impact in Denver as I thought. Obviously, Jokic is an MVP candidate. He's been unbelievable this season, but, you know, I think they need Jamal Murray, and I think that this is a series where it becomes an issue because Portland can score like crazy. You know, they're a team that with uh, McCollum and Lillard, they can take games over easily, and I think that you know, Portland's definitely been a team that's been up and down. You kind of don't know what you're going to get defensively, which obviously could be an issue against the Jokic. But I think Portland with Lillard, you know how well he does in the playoffs. You know how well he does when, you know, he is on a team that's not favored to win. So I like Portland. I think they pull the upset on Denver in the first round. I think it goes seven and it's game time. I think that you see him put in another classic Dame Lillard performance in a game seven or in a, you know, must-win clutch game, and I think he knocks down a winning three, uh, maybe at the buzzer. But I like Portland to win the series. And then this is the series that everyone, I think, wants to talk about. It's Phoenix and the Lakers. I think that this is going to be the best series of the first round. Um, it's going to be a popular series that I think a lot of people are going to watch. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Anthony Davis... But it's really going to be the other guys in this series that make the difference. You know, can Phoenix get consistent play out of Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson? They really need those guys to be at their best. The Lakers, you know, need it from Drummond, uh, Dennis Schroeder, Kyle Kuzma, uh, KCP. 
this is going to be a really interesting series. I think this is going to be the most anticipated 2-7 matchup in NBA history. Um, I think this is going to be a dogfight of a series. I really think that the Lakers, just considering how much they've struggled this season, obviously without Davis and LeBron for an extended period, um, and then you know how LeBron James plays in the playoffs. It's just, it's it's absolutely unfair. Um, but this is not a good matchup for the Lakers at all. Um, I think you have a guy like Chris Paul who's been through it all, seen all the battles, knows how to play playoff basketball in the Western Conference, and then you have Devin Booker who's just a certified killer. That guy is one of the, if not the best shooter in the NBA, not named Steph Curry. Um, I think that this is going to be an electric series. I think this goes seven. Um, But I just think it's hard for me to discount LeBron James. It's hard for me to pick against him in a a seven-game series just knowing how unbelievable he is and how much, you know, he just is so hard to stop. But um, it's been a challenging year for him. It's been a challenging year for the Lakers. But I just, I I cannot count him out. I feel like I'd be an absolute idiot to pick against him in a first-round series, especially against a team like Phoenix, where I think it's going to get the Lakers to play at a level that they've not played at much this season. So I like the Lakers in seven. I think it's going to be a dogfight of a series. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So looking at those second-round matchups, I would expect Utah plays the Clippers, and then Portland plays the Lakers uh, rematch of the Western Conference Fine. Or no, they played in the first round of the bubble last year, so I think that will be interesting. But yeah, I think second round matchups would be Utah, the Clippers, uh, Portland, and the Lakers, so that it does not reseed. At least I don't think it does this year, the second round. So that's why you would see you know, the high seed not play the lowest seed necessarily. Um, I don't think that the NBA has actually ever done it that way. So that would be why Utah would play the Clippers, or you know, the 1-8 matchup would play the 4-5, and then... Look, Three six would play two seven, so it's going to be an exciting first round. I think you have a number of series that are going to be really exciting, and a lot of people are going to be very interested in. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I think it's going to be fun. So um, the NBA, obviously, I felt like an absolute moron last week because the NBA obviously had their uh, Hall of Fame enshrinement, and I just totally forgot to touch on that. Um, and touch on, you know, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, uh, to name a few people getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, and that was really special, you know, watching KG's speech, you know, and how much he meant to the Celtics, how much he meant to the NBA. You know, that guy, just the ultimate competitor. Um, and this was kind of the first Hall of Fame class that, you know, I remember watching these guys. I remember growing up, you know, in the early to mid-2000s and watching all three of these guys, you know, battle each other. And just be just unbelievable players. And it just like makes me feel old that, you know, I was watching those highlights and it's like, wow, the NBA has changed, you know, dramatically. But uh, serious congratulations to, you know, Kobe's family. Big congratulations to Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan, um, you know, three of the best players to ever play this game. So uh, that was really special to, you know, Really special to, to see. And then, you know, obviously for next year's class, uh, Paul Pierce and Mike Gorman, you know, Paul Pierce obviously will go in as a player. Bill Russell actually will go in as a coach, I believe. And then Mike Gorman 
obviously the Celtics longtime play-by-play guy will go in and um, man it just is you know Mike is is the ultimate pro and he's been a guy that you know I've been listening to my whole life you know I don't remember I have no recollection of watching Celtics games you know without him I remember hearing his voice listening to games when I was six seven years old um, and I think that you know Mike is one of those people that kind of inspired me to get into broadcasting, which is why this is a little, I'm getting a little emotional here, but um, just as a, a tremendous guy, just as such a a pleasure to listen to, so easy to listen to as one of those voices that, you know, you know, you could not be a Celtics fan, you could still really enjoy him. So um, that will be really, really special to have him and Paul uh, go in, in, in September. So um, that's just what I wanted to touch on before we, before we moved on. Um, actually just realized that in the intro, I talked about what I think the finals matchup will be. So actually I think that we should do that, uh, before we move on to, uh, some baseball. So I think that this is kind of going to sound crazy, but, um, I think the Bucks are making the finals. I know that this is going to like throw a lot of people off cause everyone's like, Oh, it's going to be Nets and the Lakers. You're crazy if you think it's going to be anything else, but um, I think it's going to be different. I think that you are going to see some different teams um, go deep this year. I think that the Lakers will not make the finals. That's going to blow some people's minds, but um, I really am am buying in on the Utah Jazz. I really think that they are a team that um, could make the finals. I think the Clippers could too. Um, I think that they're a team that, you know, having a chip on their shoulder, having, you know, that new coach in Ty Lue and, you know, crazy things could happen. I mean, obviously, I look like a moron when the Clippers lose in the first round. Um, but I really think that the uh, Bucks and Jazz uh, will end up playing in the finals. Um, I know that that's going to be crazy. You know, I think that the Nets, you know, should be fine against the Celtics. I think that they, you know, honestly could be fine in the second round. But I just, it's 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 hard to know with that team and how well they're going to gel together with Durant, Harden, and Kyrie, who have, you know, barely played together this season. I don't think it's going to be a problem against the Celtics, but I think it very well could be an issue against the Bucs. Um, and the Nets are not a great defensive team. They really weren't a good defensive team this year. Um, and I think that they could really struggle um, against a team like the Bucks, who uh, beat them a few times at the end of the regular season. So, you know, I do think it's the Bucks' year. I think that, you know, there's a lot of guys and a lot of teams with, you know, something to prove. And so I think that's what you're going to see is you're going to see the Bucks going, you know, all the way to the finals because they, they, you know, have that bad loss from last year, you know, Giannis getting hurt, you know, and then you got some teams in the West who the Utah Jazz, I think honestly might be one of the most disrespected teams in the NBA because people just don't believe that they're the number one seed because they're like, Oh, it's just going to be LeBron or bust. Now, LeBron's a tremendous player. I just don't think the Lakers are deep enough. I don't know if they're as deep as they were last year. And I think that a team like Utah could be a real issue for them, um, you know, maybe in the conference finals or, or, or what have you. So I think that's what we're going to see. You know, I honestly think just a quick prediction, Bucks win in the championship. But, you know, I totally expect to be wrong on that. Um, but I really hope that we see some new teams and new players go into the finals and it's not just the same teams and the same, you know, stars. It just is like the NBA is great and it's really a great sport to watch, but it's just like 
and I respect LeBron and I respect how good he's been for such a long time in this league. And it's not easy to be that dominant over that long. Um, but I just think from a fan's perspective, I want to see somebody new. I want to see a different finals matchup where it's not all about LeBron James and it's not all about, you know, the the same teams, you know. I want to see some something different. Um, so that will be interesting. So playoffs start tomorrow tomorrow afternoon. There are games all day. I think the Heat and Bucks get it going at 2 o'clock. Um, and then obviously the West play in tonight, and then the winner will play the Jazz in round one on Sunday, I believe. So I think we'll move on to some baseball. Um, the Red Sox are still in first place. Uh, it's getting a lot closer, which is a little scary. Um, but I think that you're crazy if you thought the Red Sox were just going to get in first place and coast. You know, you're crazy if you thought the Yankees were going to start the season bad and stay that way. Um, but it's becoming very, very close. We'll take a look at the standings in a moment. But, you know, <laughs> the Red Sox are, are getting caught up on a little bit thanks to some losses. But, you know, it's not like they're playing bad. You know, obviously they lost two out of three against Oakland, but rebounded to win two out of three against the Angels. You know, really tough loss on that Sunday. Matt Barnes giving up a two-out hit to Mike Trout. And then Otani with the home run. I mean, it's like, you can't really get too upset at Matt Barnes for that. Um, the Red Sox obviously then get absolutely destroyed against Toronto in game one of the recent uh, three-game set. But then the Red Sox bounce back, win two games in a row. J.D. Martinez with the go-ahead home run in the ninth inning last night. Um, I think it was Nick Pavetta that pitched last night. It was the first game um, of the season that he did not pitch great. Um, but the Red Sox obviously did win the night before 7-3. to three. So uh, two out of three against the Blue Jays, you know, a team that's chasing them. So uh, Red Sox played in Florida last night. So the Buffalo, or uh, <laughs> I said Buffalo, I meant to say Toronto. Red Sox beat the Blue Jays. Um, in Florida last night, Toronto still playing at their uh, spring training facility, but they will move to Buffalo um, June first. So that's when they'll that's where they'll play the remainder of their schedule. Um, so the Red Sox, you know, obviously still getting good starting pitching. You know, Garrett Richards pitched on um, Wednesday night and pitched pretty well. You know, he's a guy that it's too bad that there are some people um, in sports media that wrote him off after four starts. Or wrote him off after one start, you know, and said, "Ha ha! Look at how bad Heim Bloom, you know, can like can't sign any good free agents." And it's like Garrett Richards has pitched really well over the last like five starts, and no one said anything. But it's you know classic Boston media. You have to bash a guy, you know, if he doesn't perform. But then when he does perform, it's oh, I don't care anymore. So you know that's just how it goes. But um, you know he's been really solid. You know, I think that a guy like Pavetta has been a pleasant surprise. I know he didn't pitch well last night, but, you know, it was 5-0 and coming into last night's game. Um, and you're getting good, consistent starting pitching, and I think that's the biggest thing. Will it hold up? You know, I think that that's really the biggest question. You know, you can pitch well for the first two months of the season, be in first place, be 27-18, and but, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to continue. You know, I think that... You have some guys who have injury histories like Evaldi, like Richards. You kind of don't know what you're going to get from them, you know, beyond a good start to the season. So that's going to be interesting to watch. You know, I think the Red Sox are a team that are kind of surprisingly competing, you know, and 
doing a lot better than I think anyone thought. Um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, when the trade deadline comes around because that's two months away. Um, are the Red Sox still in first place? Do they feel like they need to upgrade in pitching? You know, has Chris Sale returned at that point? I think that that's going to be really interesting to see what happens. But the Red Sox, their pitching is keeping them in first place. You know, I know that the hitting has been great. J.D. Martinez has been unbelievable. You have guys like Bogarts and Devers who have been hitting the ball really, really well. Um, and you have guys like Renfro, you know, who have come on and hit pretty well recently. So I think for the Red Sox, it's just keep doing what you're doing. Keep taking, you know, two out of three, three out of four, things like that. And, you know, those series add up. So, you know, just the division's going to be a lot closer, you know, but it's going to make for some great, great baseball over the next few weeks, you know, with the division getting so close. You know, you have a team in fourth place, I think, it might be Tampa Bay or Toronto, and they're like a game and a half back first place. So you're going to see a lot of fun, really exciting baseball. But big win for the Red Sox last night um, with Martinez's go-ahead home run in the ninth inning. So Red Sox win 8-7. to seven. Took two out of three from Toronto. They will play a three-game set starting tonight in Philadelphia against the Phillies. So Red Sox will get their first look at uh, Bryce Harper this season, who's actually had a pretty good year for the Phillies. Um so looking at the remainder of the Red Sox schedule for the month of May and then maybe going into June um, before they approach their first series against the Yankees this season, um, obviously have the three games set in Philly, then they will come home for five games. They have a pair against the Atlanta Braves early next week, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then they have a three-game set against the Miami Marlins, and then the Red Sox will play four games in Houston uh, to close the month of May and then into the month of June. And then June 4th to the 6th, the Red Sox are in New York against the Yankees. Their first look at the Bronx Bombers this season. That's going to be a really fun, interesting series to watch uh, for the Sox. So one of the last things, or one of the, one of the last things I was going to touch on with the Red Sox is their home record. The Red Sox have the best record in baseball on the road, 14 and six at this point. And, they're 13 and 12 at home, and um, I really have no idea what that's a product of. Um, but the Red Sox are a team that, you know, if they're going to compete this season, if they're going to continue to play the way that they've been playing, they need to start playing better at home. Um, because if they don't, there's no way that they're going to be able to hang on to this division lead. Um, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. You know, I think that first couple games, it's like, okay, you know, our first couple of weeks, it's like, okay, you know, you'll lose some games. But, you know, maybe the record looks worse because they open the season 0-3 at home, you know. And outside of that Baltimore series, the Red Sox are, you know, 13-9, and which isn't half bad. But it's like, you need to take advantage of your home games. The Red Sox are, you know, again, not going to last in first place very long if they're losing a lot of home games. So um, the Red Sox really got to take advantage. But the good thing is they've been pretty good on the road, which you know, is, I think it is great. I think, honestly, it's probably better that they're really good on the road just so that, you know, they can win some games, feel confident. But it's like, you got to build some confidence at home. So Red Sox will have five games next week at home against Atlanta and Miami. So hopefully they can get some good things going. So Red Sox will throw uh, Martin Perez, Nathan Avaldi, and Eduardo Rodriguez in this series against Philadelphia. So um, you know, we'll see. So, uh, take a look at the baseball standings. Obviously, 
There have been a lot of no-hitters recently, which has been absolutely crazy. I think there's some people that think it has something to do with uh, the different baseball um, this season that the balls are not, you know, juiced, quote-unquote. So um, it's been pretty wild. You know, I think that there have been six this season. I don't think it includes, I don't think it includes Baumgartner's um, no-hitter, which was in seven innings, which is not officially recognized by Major League Baseball, which is stupid. Because it's like it's it's a game, it's a it's a baseball game. It's a, I don't care if it's seven innings or not. Like that's still a no hitter to me. Like I know that there are some people that would t- disagree with me. Like the pure baseball, the purest baseball, you know. But I don't know. Seven innings is a no hitter to me. If it's a no hitter, it's a no hitter. You know, if it's an official game that is played, it's a no hitter. I really don't care. You know. Um, because it's still impressive, you know, it's still impressive to have a no-hitter um, for that long. So whatever, you know what, I'll count it. But uh, yeah, there have been a number of them. There were two uh, recently, Corey Kluber for the Yankees, and then, um, oh, there was someone else, oh, I'm forgetting who it is, it was someone for the Mariners. Uh, I am not going to remember who it is. But anyway, it's been crazy to see that, um, obviously, you know, the, Jordan's furniture commercials with the Red Sox that, uh, you know, buy your furniture between a certain date. And if the Red Sox throw a no-hitter, you know, you'll get all their furniture free. But it's only a no-hitter between these dates. You know, that's how they get you. Because um, it's like, it's such a ridiculous sweepstakes. It's like, yes, I know. It's, you know, it pulls people in to buy furniture. But it's like, they're like, oh, if they throw a no-hitter between, you know, August 3rd and the end of the season. And it's like, yeah, thanks. That's literally like a quarter. Of, that's like two months of the season and it's like well whatever it probably doesn't really matter anyway but that always just kind of me kind of makes me laugh um but the Red Sox obviously in first place uh so Toronto actually is in fourth place two and a half games back but obviously that's really close um the Rays are getting really hot they've won seven straight games uh Tampa Bay interestingly enough is also another team that does not have a good home record. They're only 11 and 12. Uh, the Yankees are only 11 and 9 at home. They're a game and a half back at first place. They've won three straight games. Um, okay. So speaking of old, like, unwritten baseball rules, there's been a lot being made about the uh, White Sox. And um, I forget the name of the player. I'm so bad with baseball players' names. I don't know what it is. Um, but the White Sox beat the Indians by a hefty margin the other night. And there was this player that had gotten criticized for uh, squaring up a 3 nothing pitch or 3-0 pitch and hitting a home run, you know, and it was like disrespectful because it's a position player or something and it's like running up the score. But it's like, I don't know, you know, I, I get it. I get that it's disrespectful and I get that. You know, the Twins ended up throwing at the White Sox and, you know, getting upset about this. But it's like, let me just tell you, this is why casual fans don't like baseball. Is because you have people like Tony La Russa, you have old, you know, baseball purists that, you know, you have to follow the unwritten rules. And it's like, this is why people don't watch your game. This is why people don't like baseball. Because you have old, you know, fuddy-duddies who are like, oh, the game needs to be played a certain way. And if it's not played this way, then... You know, it's disrespectful to the game. And it's just like, look, I get it. Like, I get being upset at that. I think that that's fair. But it's like, I I think this is why baseball is not as popular. Because 
there are old baseball guys who don't like it when players show personality. They don't like it when they celebrate. They don't like it when, you know, they try to be something different than what the norm is. It's a little bit like hockey where, you know, certain people are frowned upon because maybe they speak out about certain things um, or they, you know, kneel for the national anthem or they show some personality. God forbid you show personality in, in sports. Um, but it just is like, it's something that drives me crazy. I kind of cannot believe that Tony La Russa came out against his own team and said that, you know, it's just like, I get it. I get it. And I think that that's something that you address, you know, within the team. I don't think that's something that you need to directly call out a player, um, you know, in a post-game press conference or, or whatever it was, but it's just like, I think that there's a more delicate way to handle that. You know, if you're really upset about it, you sit the guy down and say, hey, you know, don't do that again. But it's like, I don't think you need to make a whole public spectacle out of it. Um, so I don't know. That just kind of just threw, threw me off because it's like, I don't know. Baseball needs, you know, as many fans as they can get. There's, I think, a lot of people that are going to, like, get turned off by stuff like that. Because it's just like people just are so old, like set in their ways about how baseball needs to be played. And if you play it a different way, if you do something different, it's like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. So um, that's just my thoughts on that situation. Uh, The White Sox are in first place in the Central, uh, two and a half games up on Cleveland. Um, In the West, you have Houston, who's been playing some really good baseball recently. Uh, They've won eight out of ten. They are a half game in front of the athletics for first place in the West in the national league central, the Mets still hold the, uh, still hold first place a game and a half ahead of the Phillies who the Red Sox will play, uh, this weekend, the Cardinals in the central three games up on the Cubs. So they've been playing some good baseball recently. And then you got the San Francisco giants who, uh, to me, I think have been the story of baseball, uh, in the first couple of months, 28 and 16, a game in first place over the Padres. They've won five straight, Padres have won six straight, and then the Dodgers have won four straight and eight out of ten. So those three teams have been playing some good baseball uh, recently. Obviously, the Dodgers got off to that red-hot start. They've definitely leveled off a bit. Um, But the Padres have been playing great, and you have the Giants, who've been outstanding at home, uh, 14-4 at um, 14-4 in San Francisco. So I think that probably does it for for baseball. for this week, Red Sox with an interesting four, three game set against the Phillies. So definitely tune into that. All three games, I believe, are going to be on Nesson. Or actually, I think the Saturday, tomorrow night's game, I think, is on Fox because it's a uh, Fox Saturday baseball, if you will. So the Patriots, we'll move on to the NFL, made um, some interesting, some moves that were kind of interesting this week. So. Obviously, the Patriots, um, or if you haven't heard, the Patriots have signed all their draft picks except for three. I want to say it's just uh, Ronnie Perkins, Mac Jones, and Christian Barmore um, who have yet to sign. I don't think there's going to be any issues there. Um, I think just sometimes the players that are kind of the higher draft picks, it just takes a little bit of time to get their contracts signed. So I think that's just really what you're seeing Um what you're seeing there. So yeah, I wouldn't panic about any of the guys not signing. You know, it is interesting that they've signed the rest of their guys. Uh, McGrone, they signed the, the linebacker out of Michigan. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, they just signed yesterday or two days ago. 
Um, I think that he's a guy that really could make a very good, very interesting impact uh, this season and next season. I don't know if he gets a lot of playing time on the offensive side, but I could see him being kind of a special teams guy um, this season. I think the same thing for Trey Nixon, the uh, seventh-round wide receiver out of UCF. Um, I'd be very interested to see how the Patriots utilize him in camp because uh, he's got great speed. Um, and then Patriots have brought in a couple of free agents, um, I think a line, uh, offensive lineman and a safety. You know, I think it's just to get extra bodies in there um, for you know training camp, just to get some kind of internal con- competition going. Um, and then the Patriots brought back Brian Hoyer, which was kind of interesting. You know, not something that I didn't like. You know, I looked at it and I said, okay, they're bringing him in to be kind of a mentor type for Mac Jones, I would think. Um, because Brian's a guy who has obviously been around the organization for years, you know, knows what to expect, knows Coach Belichick, knows the playbook, you know, and is a guy that's been around the NFL for a number of years. You know, it's not that he's just been with the Patriots, but he's had experience, he's had experiences elsewhere. So, you know, I think that it's, it's only a positive for him to be here. And I think that, you know, the Patriots will have Mac Jones utilize him as kind of a mentor and being a guy that, you know, shows him the ropes um, about the Patriots offense. So I think that that's good news. It's probably not great news for Jared Stidham. Um, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots, you know, cut him in training camp or they decide to trade him. Um, you know, I think that unfortunately there were some people that put, you know, unrealistic expectations on him the minute he was drafted and people were like, oh, you know, that's the, the, the heir to Tom Brady. And I think that you know, maybe the Patriots had that thought that he was going to be that guy, but I don't really think he's made much of a an impact to make you think that, okay, he's that next guy. Um, you know, whether he really got a legit opportunity, I think that that's kind of, a, I think to me that's debatable, but obviously it doesn't matter at this point. Um, but I think that, you know, it's not something to be upset about, you know, if they traded him, you know, it just is a fourth-round guy that didn't really work out. You know, it's not like the Patriots drafted Stidham in the first round two years ago, and he's not really taken the reins. You know, that's what would be very concerning, you know, if the Patriots then had to get rid of him, kind of like the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen a few years ago. Um, That, you know, wasn't something like that, that they got rid of, like, a first-round pick. Um, But I think that his time is definitely running out, you know, unless he does really, really well in camp. And the Patriots don't have a reason to get rid of him. But I just think if they're bringing in a guy like Hoyer, you know, if they're going to have four quarterbacks, you know, does it really make sense to have four quarterbacks on the roster? No, probably not. You know, I don't actually even know if it makes sense to have three, um, you know, or they could just keep Brian on the practice squad, you know, and that's something that they could do. But um, I wouldn't think that Stidham gets traded like right away or if he gets cut right away. Like, I think they probably would want to see how he does in camp. So I wouldn't expect anything to happen in the near future, um, like in the next few weeks, but maybe in training camp, you know, maybe they decide to trade him or cut him, see if they can get a draft pick or two for him. Um, And then, you know, some other news that there was, you know, reports that Mac Jones did really, really well in the rookie minicamp. The Patriots had like a, a, I think it was just for the rookies and the undrafted guys. So, you know, it sounded like Jones did pretty well there, which is great, great to hear. Very interested to hear about his development um, this season with the off-season programs, you know, obviously, and then training camp. 
And then preseason, you know, I'd expect he plays a pretty good amount in the preseason. In the preseason. So, you know, that will be very interesting. Patriots with three preseason games this season, I think all against the NFC East. I think it's Washington, the Giants, and the Eagles that they play this season um, in August. So there are three preseason games. I think there are three instead of four, like there used to be. So, you know, that's probably the only Patriot news going on. There's some uh, rumors flying around about Julio Jones um, in the last few days. I don't really think it's realistic for the Patriots. You know, I just think that if they, if they were going to trade for him, they would have done it during the draft when... You know, there are a lot of teams that get desperate to trade picks and players, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I just think that, yes, obviously the talent is there when he's healthy. He's probably a top three wide receiver in the NFL, but I think it's just age and injury history and just kind of not really sure what you're going to get, you know, might lead to some teams, you know, buying very low on him. But it's like, if you're Atlanta, I don't really think you want to, I think you want to make sure you get a good enough return. Um, the um, Eagles bringing in Ryan Ryan Kerrigan, which I thought was interesting. I think that that's a good signing for the Eagles. Um, and I think that I think that that's probably it for the NFL. So um, you know, probably won't hear too much out of the NFL in the next few weeks. You know, before training camp, and you know, there are not really any off-season programs going on yet. Um, but definitely, we'll keep you updated on that. So. Before I let you guys go, we'll talk about the Revolution. Revolution with, um, obviously, we talked about their tie against Philadelphia last week. Revolution bounced back with a win um, against Columbus on Sunday night out in Buxa with the winning goal in the 86th minute. So the Revs, um, three wins to open the season, only one loss. That lost to Nashville two weeks ago. Um, but... You know, the Revs have just been a lot of fun to watch. They've been a team that's been really, really solid. Um, good to see from Buxa that he's got a couple goals. He has been a player that had kind of, I don't want to say struggled out of the gate is the right word, but, you know, the Revolution, I think, still trying to find their, uh, you know, consistency in the forward group. So it was great to see him get a goal. Revolution get a good quality win to open the season, you know, avenging the uh, Eastern Conference final loss last season to Columbus. So Revolution get the win. They will take on the New York Red Bulls at Gillette tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. So Revolution still in first place in the East at 3-2-1 um, with 11 points. Just really important that they've gotten off to a good start. Um, and they can try to build off of that. Um, so Revolution in first place in the East, I think. Uh, if we take a look at the West, get this to load. Um, I think that you're seeing not sure why it's not showing me but we know the Revolution are in first place um, in the Eastern Conference so they will play the Red Bulls tomorrow I'll try that one more time see if I can get the standings to load um, I'm having some issues with uh, sports reference but um, I'll let you know if that comes back up um, and if not we can just look at the Standings. You guys can look at the standings on your own time. Um, <laughs> with the Revolution being um, atop the conference, um, you know, I think still just kind of finding their game in the early part of the season, you know, I think is is important. 
uh, for the team, you know, and I think that Bruce Arena's, you know, a coach that ex- that's experienced, you know, has seen pretty much everything in the MLS um, in his career, you know, has won five championships. So, you know, I think that it's it's a good situation that they're in. You know, I think that it's um, a great coach, you know, a great kind of, it's just kind of a new energy with this team that they, you know, go out and expect to win every game. Um, and that kind of wasn't really the story a few years ago that they were kind of just stuck as a franchise, you know, and now I think they're conversations about a, a stadium, a soccer-only stadium, you know, in the future. Obviously, it's been great that they've been at Gillette, but I think, you know, getting a soccer-specific stadium, you know, in the city of Boston, I think really would would be great. You know, they have that great training facility um, and all that. So the Revolution in first place, two points ahead of second place Orlando. So looking at the Red Bulls, they are two wins... And three losses, so they have six points. The Revolution will host them. Um, and then in the Western Conference, I think you have um, Seattle in first place with 16 points. They have not lost yet this season. Five wins and a tie. So before we let you guys go, talk about the WNBA and their season getting off to uh, quite a start uh, last weekend. Sabrina Ionescu with almost a buzzer Peter shot with 0.4 seconds left knocked down a three-pointer for the Liberty so they are off to a good start they're three and0 so um, just you know watching her career at Oregon just a special player um, hope wish her the best of success in the WNBA but her team is off to a great start they're three and0 uh, the Connecticut Sun that are also three and0 so some good local teams there um, but the season yeah just underway with uh, New York and Connecticut 3-0, and the best record in the league. Actually, I wanted to take a look at the conference. So, obviously, Seattle with the um, championship last season, they're 2-1 uh, and one on their start, in, in the start to their season. So, you have uh, four games tonight, Atlanta against Indiana, New York against Washington, Connecticut against Phoenix, and then L.A. against Las Vegas. Um, LA against Vegas at 10:30 on CBS Sports. Um, Connecticut and Phoenix. That game is on Facebook. I'm assuming it's on Facebook Watch. Actually, I don't really use Facebook that much. Well, other than posting for the podcast, um, and then you can watch the Atlanta and Indiana game on Twitter. So I'm imagining that that's an easy game to find um, on Twitter. Um, so you know that probably that probably does it for 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 this week. I do again want to say thanks to. Uh, Mike Craddy for coming on the coming on the podcast last week and talking some playoff hockey. That was a really fun experience. Uh, hoping to do some more, you know, interesting interviews maybe in the next few weeks as we kind of get into the summer, get to the end of the NBA and NHL season. Maybe we can start, you know, doing some interesting things, getting some interesting people in. But um, again, everyone, you know, enjoy the weather. It's been great weather recently. It's been pretty hot, but. Um, it's been nice that it's hot and not cold and you can actually go outside and not have to, you know, put a coat on or anything like that. So um, everyone enjoy the weather. Um, as always, you can uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at not Boston. You can follow the Facebook page. You can listen on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Uh, so we'll talk to you guys next week and uh, happy playoffs for the NBA as the playoffs will officially start tomorrow um, and go Bruins. Bruins play tonight against Washington. So look, forward to that.